February 14, 2012, is the Watt from Pedro show.
out that tree Had the curling wire Boy, how that spiel inspired Knocked me out, now I was slain Changed forever from that day Sang to me some crazy song I was a bassman from then on I'm a lucky man Know that man, hell of a man, boiler man Boy, oh boy, boiler man Coltrane doing the seven inch single version of my favorite things, both sides A and B, as you could tell. Then you heard Sawako with Water Travel. Then you heard The Boiler Man from my first opera, Contemplating the Engine Room. Our guest today, Nick Reinhardt, calling us from his pad near Sacto. When did music enter your mind as a child? Uh, well, my dad played guitar and 
I remember I would kind of fart around on his acoustic and he would show me little things here and there when I was probably 10 years old. And he lived out in, a, in Moore Park in the valley in SoCal. And I was up here up north with my mom. And so I'd visit, you know, a few times a year and hang out. And every time I'd go over, you know, he'd kind of show me some new stuff on his acoustic. And he had this kind of a, he had a, a kind of a crappy Yamaha electric guitar that I'd mess around with too. And he had a cool, like, old, you know, Fender classic something or other amp. And I remember just thinking that was like a really cool thing, you know, get to do at dad's house. And then when I was 11, Christmas of whatever, I guess maybe 94. Um, my stepbrother got a guitar for Christmas from my dad and my stepmom. He got a blue Memphis Strat copy. And I remember I was so obsessed with, you know, what he got for Christmas. I, of course, I don't remember what I got, but I remember what my brother got. And so that was kind of like the beginning of it for me is just playing on his guitar. I remember I played it more than he did that year. And then eventually... Um, I saved up all the money that I had gotten for that Christmas, and I bought my own guitar probably three months later or something. But that was probably the beginning of like, wow, music is rad. This is what I want to do. Like, I remember my mom really, really was trying to get me to do like soccer and play sports. You know, as an eleven and twelve year old, and I was kind of really pissy about that because you know I just wanted to skateboard and play guitar, and so. That kind of just became my thing, I guess, from really, really super early on. Was there music stuff in your mind? Like I record or some crap? Something on TV, on the radio, something at school? I don't really remember being obsessed with music before the age of 11. Um, I remember my very first concert ever was Michael Jackson with my parents. And I remember that, that was a trip. Uh, I think I was five or six years old Damn. and I I the reason I specifically recall things from that is just because it was so insane it was an incra- crazy show as you could imagine but I remember specifically at that show um, I remember my mom was uh getting mad at the guy in front of us because he was like standing up during the intro or whatever and I remember my mom yelling at him at him to sit down and the guy turns around and says uh, or my mom says, sit down, we can't see. And then this the guy turns on and says, there's nothing to see or whatever. But it's this really, really bizarre, bizarre memory I remember from. I think I was taken, but at that point I, I was familiar with Michael Jackson, obviously. You know, like, I guess that was around the time Thriller had come out. Um, yeah. And I actually still have the little tour book that we bought from there. So I remember being interested in that. And there was a really cool show, you know, with like the whole thriller thing with monsters and zombies and all that. And that was probably like, my, I guess one of my first musical memories was the Michael Jackson stuff. Yeah. I can't remember <laughs> a lot from five or six, but okay. Mike Jackson, where was it? Was it here? SoCal or up there? Yeah, it, it was okay. somewhere in SoCal. I wouldn't remember where it was, but I was living down there at the time. So, um, so you saw some gigs. Did you see any other gigs after that? I don't. I don't. I think that was like the very first, first real thing right, I right. did. And then it was probably when I was twelve. I also, think the post next, post the guitar so, thing. So yeah. okay. So get. I finally get my own guitar. Um, I think by that time, I remember another really defining moment was probably eleven. 
being at my grandma's house and seeing the Anarchy in the UK video on MTV. And that was another like, whoa, what the fuck blew my mind. And I remember, this is actually funny. I can remember this really well. My uncle walks in and he sees me watching this video and I'm freaking out over it. And he goes, oh, hold on a second. You got to see this. And he tells me about um, the greatest rock and roll swindle. He's like, you got to see the Sex Pistols movie. It'll blow your mind. And so I remember he said he had a, a copied VHS of it. And so we tore the house apart looking for it. And he didn't end up finding it, but he told me all about it. And it wasn't until years later that I was able to find a copy and check it out for myself. But that was another like really defining moment for me. I guess that was probably my first uh, introduction to just punk music. Yeah, so, that was pretty righteous of him. How old was he? Uh, he was probably, I guess, actually, he was about probably close to my age. I'm 28 now, so he must have been... Probably, yeah, 28, 29, yeah. seeing his little nephew watch the Sex Pistols. That's <laughs> happening. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then shortly after that, um, when I was 12, so this was post-guitar, post, you know, finally understanding. Post-toasties. Yeah, exactly. Um, I went to, my dad took me to Wallapalooza in, in uh, Irvine, yeah. and I guess that was, that must have been 94, 95 with, Sonic Youth, and that was the first time I'd seen them, and that was like another thing that just kind of blew my mind uh, out there, whatever. Yeah, I, I think that was 95. That's your second gig? I believe so, yeah. I think that was probably my, my first like real rock concert was Lollapalooza. Damn. Well, let's hold on a second. Let's, let's play some music. Sure.
for Pedro show uh, started off that chunk of music with some Termelos which is Mr. Nick Reinhardt's band and a tune called 555-9676 which is probably a phone number maybe yeah I remember that one that was a tradition in the swing band days they had there's several songs with phone numbers 
Because I think people met each other at dances in uh, yeah, Pennsylvania, whatever. They, they did numbers different <laughs> in those days because you had exchanges and stuff. Sure. And then we uh, heard Elvis never didn't die by the end of tonight. And I picked that because it's part of the record that that other tune's on. You guys split an album? Yeah, we uh, we met this band called By the End of Tonight. God, I don't know what year that was. It must have been probably five years ago now. They were this rad, instrumental, kind of like freaky band um, oh, based out of Texas. And they were on a, a cool label called uh, Temporary Residence. And so we had met them and done a little bit of touring with them and became good friends and said, hey, you know, let's end up doing a split, which actually ended up being more of a double uh, EP because we each had like five or six songs on it or something. So, yeah, those are good buds of ours. Yeah, I didn't want to confuse people because we're getting ahead of the story. I just want to play some music. We, then we heard uh, In the Flow, something live from Fig. Do you know about Fig? It's a new band. I'm not familiar with them. Okay, it's got two members. Nels Klein, Yuka Honda. And I got to oh. be at the first gig. There was Dose was playing at their first gig. And then we right. heard uh, somebody you know, I think, uh, Marnie Stern with the Crippled Jazz or something live. And then finally, Expelled by Bygones. Now this time, how old were you at the Lollapalooza? 15? No, I think I would have been... Probably 12. Still, so it's, it's around this time. Okay. Yeah, I'm thinking 12. So you just got the guitar. Right. Yes, I'm, I'm playing guitar. You know, and how are you doing? Her. Are you like trying to copy records like I did? I can hear you. Or are, <laughs> think, some, are your pop showing you stuff? I think at that point, I so I had you know, discovered punk music. And that was like, I was, I was a Nirvana kid and a grunge, you know, little skate rat. Yeah. So at that point, I think I was just kind of like, you know, yeah, probably copying a lot of punk records and Nirvana stuff and maybe some Metallica things here and there, but definitely not. It had not even crossed my mind, not even until years later that I could write my own songs or even, conceptually have a band doing this stuff that that didn't come into play till many years later yeah so you're just trying to like do what you're hearing try to get right. some things going yeah what about people at school did anybody want to play you want to play with anybody anybody else playing you're talking like beginning of junior high school right yeah so this was between sixth and eighth grade um at, no there was i had no friends that you know, had instruments. I, I knew one guy that had another guitar, but again, even the idea of jamming together, that wasn't even, for some reason, it, it never crossed my mind that, oh, let's write music or, you know, here's a, a song that has two guitar parts. Let's learn to play them together. It was really strange. <laughs> that never crossed my Guitars, mind. Guitars, it's man alone mission yeah <laughs> yeah it's just like a, it was a personal thing for me it was just like oh yeah i get home from school and play in my bedroom and you know here's this nirvana song that i kind of figured out how to play and you know just basically went about it that way but you saw them cats had other guys in pants yeah exactly okay. you just so ain't put it together yet yeah okay. yeah it took me a long time to even think about that and i remember um in seventh grade by that point, I I was living full time in Sacramento with my mom, and I there were these two punker dudes 
um, I went to a pretty like dicey middle school for seventh grade, and there was two dudes with, you know, torn pants and weird hair, and I kind of gravitated towards them. And I remember them talking about, you know, a quote unquote band that they were doing, but still it was like, whoa, I, I don't can we do that? Are we allowed to like, are we good enough? I don't, I don't understand how the band thing works, you know, but little did I know that, well, that's what all the punk shit was based off of, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> be, well, I can understand in a way, because if you don't have a punk with so much against a reaction against something, if you don't know what it, it's against, it's kind of hard to find a context for it. So right. I don't blame you for not knowing. Uh, but that's a trip, these two cats. So you, you start jamming with him. Well, they, so they were, they were, they had jammed together. And I remember one of them telling me a story about they had played a party. And keep in mind, this is seventh graders. And yeah. <laughs> these are dudes that are tripped out with dreaded hair with, you know, pink and green in it and all that shit. And so this was like a really weird thing for me. And by that point, I hadn't really been exposed to like, that whole scene i i listened to punk music but i wasn't familiar with the aesthetic really that came along with it and what people did you know and so it was that was a trip just being around those guys um <laughs> but no i i never ended up jamming with them oh it was uh, just the cultural thing <laughs> yeah it was more yeah exactly it was just the cultural thing that really opened my eyes to this weirdo fucking culture going on that i didn't even know existed outside of you know I guess the anarchy in the UK video. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's hear some more music. We got some more weird uh, Nels Klein music. Mm. Mm.
through the bones Tucked it in the ceiling as the thoughts are ready to run again Well, the fake count beats when the young man know where I'm standing in the sound of smelling nobody on I hear a dick and shouting open the door It's gonna be job of the night Find a chest I am just sitting here I got no time for you Find a chest I know you swing your fist to make the local news Somebody's there. Oh, and every digit doesn't fit still alive with a mouth. Clean stuff, fist, not a bouquet of roses. Smashed the windy eyes in the line with a yoda. And he made the break, and he got the man that took them all away in a diesel van. Fight a jazz night. I'm just sitting here, I got no time for you. Fight a jazz night. I know you sing a fist to the Much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. Atlas on this star-studded Montauk beach, bleached night of dead cartilage, rotting hunting puzzles to their core, straddle night space glazed with numbered stars to each pebble on the shore. If you stand and throw your great knife, and cut an imaginary line through the night sky. It is said that space is so vast that no star would be hit. Surrealism's magic master beachcomber leaves lines like Spider-Man spit on skyscrapers, Gotham's duo, Batman, Robin, and the rest, where Montauk descendants sell tobacco Leave your signals <clears throat> to predict and keyboard specialists to plunder the growing algebraic garden of poppies 
not having heard such names as Tangi or Charles Henri, who before computers had seen the fractal patterns curl back upon themselves as clean and easy as a cut through space, a thread in a Persian rug, or a seahorse dancing in the pride of the deep ocean. The course lives in the dance, in the footprints, in the throne of worlds, the gnomon of Sisera sits upon myth and geometry meet in the mouth and in the maw, or in carcasses washed ashore, where he sits in quick poppy's charm, in the kitchen's lost creations, raw foods, no more fine blade, slicing symmetry of the seed or chopping herbs. Latex oozing from the night like a field of Milky Way's frozen eternal footsteps above the Dakota. The space-time sung anew, like the canaries do, and bebop too, to sing, to save their memories, wait for flight. The brain lightens, and ideas are boats untied, left in the currents of neurons, lest fantasized postulates school kids study, while long-bladed orbits, assassins, lovers, when the bare light moon dims the sunroom, unexplained, resonating, unscrewed, unfurnished with a future by transient festal vacancies of the past. Sing for us, play for us, pray for our minimalistic souls while we sit in our Acuras, watching manipulators coasting in Manhattan on rollerblades of black ice. Mm. A lot from Pedro's show. Uh, you just heard Charles Henry Ford's Last Prince, a poem read live by Mr. Charlie Plymel. Before him, William Carlos Williams doing the red Wheelbarrow. Ahead of that was a portrait by Sam Sebrin. Uh, a fight at Jazz Night by the Nice Sharp Pencils. That's a band I got to play with in uh, England this last tour in the fall. It's just bass player and drummer. And uh, great cats. This band named Benny put on the gig. It was kind of like the old days. Talk about the aesthetics. And his, his sister helped make a chow for us, and yeah, it was a great gig. He's an incredible uh, <laughs> musician, too. A terribly nice guy. And then we started out with Thurston County, something live by the Nels Klein Singers. It's a new version, or newer version, that doesn't have Devin Hoff anymore on bass. They've got this guy, uh, Trevor Dunn, who, he was Cali, I think, like around Eureka or something. Somewhere in NorCal. But he lives in New York City now. Incredible bass player. Uh, yeah, you want to take it further? Yeah, that's about where it started. Um, and so I, those were like my closest friends for a year. And then I moved away from there into kind of this little suburban area. Um, and that, that was in like Sacramento proper. Like sketchy little neighborhood, you know, apartments getting broken into and all that shit. And then my parents moved me into kind of the suburbs. So that was an even bigger trip because it was like I was in this war zone, you know, right. for 
for seventh grade and then just kind of moved back into this kind of sheltered little suburban community type thing. Yeah. And on the music front, what are you doing now? Are you really jamming? So to the, that's... Your, your, your man alone still, right? Man alone still, right. And then make, you know, make a couple of really close friends in eighth grade. And then it was ninth grade when I got into high school that I finally, you know, we figured out a couple friends and myself like, whoa, we can make music. You have a, you know, you bought a drum set and we'll go get this mic. I remember we went to a, a little swap meet and we bought some speakers and like a mic and a mic cable or something and, you know, put it all together and then officially, you know, wrote our very first song or whatever it was. So that was probably about, I'd say 14 years old that we finally actually like we're all in a room together and calling ourselves a band, you know. How'd you pick these cats? They picked you? They, yeah, they, well, we were all just kind of like the weirdos at school, uh, you know, that skateboarded and did funky stuff. And it, at that, I think those guys saw that, oh, you know, this guy has a guitar. Let's just see about us getting instruments. And then so everyone just kind of like... You, in, you instigated them. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you infected them. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so you guys are jamming now after school. Yeah, so we're jamming after school. How did they uh, pick which they wanted? Uh, this is interesting for me. How did they pick which one was going to do what? Because you already uh, had your deal. Right. Um, so, uh, so one of them, I guess, just gravitated towards playing drums. So my friend Ben ended up with a drum set, and then his brother kind of knew how to play guitar but wasn't very good so he just ended up you know with a mic in his hand singing loosely singing <laughs> ah he was a singer so yeah, there's no it, there's no bass man no we didn't have a bass man we just kind of had friends that would play every once in a while with us okay the bystanders is our so, very... so the core was you you three cats right yeah uh, a brother team yeah and then that eventually turned into, you know, brother singing, didn't end up wanting to do it anymore. Then we found a real bass player, and then I started playing guitar and singing. And that's when it became like a, a real quote-unquote band demo and pressed a bunch of CDs ourselves and started playing shows and all that. Wow, so you're writing songs. Yeah, so that was probably at about 16 that it finally happened where it's like, oh, we're a real band writing songs with a shitty CD that we made, you know, and high school shows. first year of high school. Yeah. Probably about, uh, between first and second year. That was when that all happened. Do you remember your first songs you wrote with these guys? I can actually remember the very, very first song that I ever wrote. Um, what's your first songs period, right? Yeah. Okay. The, the very first song, uh, I remember it was an E minor, and it actually had some pretty funky chords going on. It was kind of, I guess, pretty out there, all things considered. In fact, I can't even remember how to play the riff. I was showing it to uh, Terabellos the other day just for fun. But uh, yeah, it's a really kind of bizarre trip. Well, you you, you want to revive it? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I was playing i was farting around on guitar and i was like oh my gosh i remember my very first guitar riff that i wrote and what's it called um, it was called sober and uh at the time matt who was the brother he you know was singing for us 
And I think it was about his cousin, you know, alcoholic cousin or something or <laughs> something, some dramatic thing. But I remember it being like a pretty... <laughs> Maybe some commentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I think we had it, the second song was called The Gilded Age, which oh, wow. was about like... It's kind of Sophisto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was like about, you know, consumerism or just something like that. I don't, I don't exactly remember, but... Yeah, those those were the earliest songs. Interesting. Uh, we're at the end of the first hour of the Valentine Day, February 14, 2012, edition of from Pedro Show. Hold tight for hour two. February 14, 2012, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
Okay, we start off the second hour there with Ghost of the Pinata from the Nails Klein Singers. This is the, I guess, the classic version, or the only other version before now. This had Devin Hoff on the stand-up bass. And then we heard The Werewolf and Ban by Tara Melos. Uh, in the music journey, Nick Reinhardt guest today. He's already uh, now written songs. In fact, a CD does exist. We got to get a hold of this somehow so we can hear these tunes. <laughs> Lucky yeah. for me, I don't. Ha I get to hear my first tunes because they were terrible. Hey, but, my, mine are pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so, uh, does this band make it through high school? No. So this band breaks up. Whatever. Blah blah blah. You know, what, whatever it was, and um. Actually, right when this band was breaking up is when I met uh, Nathan Latona, bass player for Terra Mellos. Yeah. And I had put up an ad in a record store saying, you know, looking for a bass player to jam with, blah, blah, blah. And so um, was it a he bad, responded. Was it a bad breakup? Uh, yeah, there was drama. Okay. You know, so you wanted, to get, you wanted to get right back into another band, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I meet Nate, and I had some friends that were in an even better punk band than our shitty punk band, this band called No Regard, and they needed another guitar player and a bass player. And I said, hey, why don't I come play with you? And I just met this guy, and he's rad. Let's come jam. And so then we joined this other punk band, and that was probably the our main band for... I guess that would have been from about junior or senior year till about uh, maybe 2003 when we started Terramos. So yeah, so then then we kind of joined this other band and, and played for that for a few years. And that's your second band? Yeah, wow. that was our second band. Had he had been in some bands? Uh, I think he was probably something similar to me where it was just kind of like kids messing around, but you know, not not real bands playing shows without you know real recordings and stuff. Well, so innocent, I think we were kind of on the same page. Innocent bystander had a recording, but you guys didn't do gigs. Well, we played a few gigs. Oh, you did. Yeah. What were those yeah, like? Played... <laughs> Probably really junky. I remember. Uh, well, like keggers you know, we... in the backyard or something. Exactly. Literally. Uh, you know, part out. We would just get our gear and go set up at a park and find an outlet and plug in and play oh, wow. that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah, going to Gorilla. Yeah. Was there a club scene where you guys going to club? I mean, you're young, so you're not really going to... Is there all ages shows? Yeah. Uh, okay. Actually, you know uh, Bojangles? Sure. Cattle Club. Cattle that Club. Was, that was our very first, like, my very first um, experience with club shows because that was an all ages spot yeah that's right for you people out there the sacramento area that was that's where you saw the punk shows in those days up there i i, I didn't realize they there was all ages shows but there was yeah brian mckenna uh, brian mckenna yeah exactly um and then shortly after i had started going to shows there it shut down or there was a fire or something happened 
and all the local like rad all ages punk weird shows moved to a place called the Capitol Garage in downtown Sacramento. So that was then the spot for probably the next uh, seven or eight years or something for all the awesome shows. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, No Regard, you guys are, it's not really your band. You guys join these guys, right? Right, exactly. So, so what, they're like writing the tunes and... Yeah, like, um, they were writing songs. I think we did demos. We made a couple of EPs and just gave them to our friends and stuff. Uh, we never played out of, we played one show out of town. We played in San Rafael once, and that was like our one out-of-town gig. We were kind of like, you know, the local band that jumped on shows and stuff. Um, and that was a fun, fun time. You know, that taught us a lot about writing and how I gotta to... get, I gotta get some of that music too. See, I don't yeah. know this, I, but you're describing it. What, what was it like? It, it was you and Nathan and what, two other cats? That three other dudes. Three, okay. Um, and that was a like a faster punk band, I guess. I, I it would probably kind of fall into like a skate punk category, that sort of like Southern California '90s sound, I guess. You know, the yeah. really fast punk beats with sort yeah. of like thrashy slash melodic guitars over it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that sort of had that type of vibe, which was new for us because the Guilty Bystanders thing that was just sort of like all over the place weirdness, I guess. Not. Okay, that confined by a, a yeah. genre. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So now, now, how did uh, No Regard work out for you guys? Um, it was, I, I hopefully I, some I, drama, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was the drama? I think the only drama was being in a band with dudes that were, like that wasn't in their blood to be in their, a band and play music. It was just a fun thing to do in high school. Ah, so, okay. once, so once everyone got, you know, to 19 or 20, I think everyone was like, eh, what are we doing? Why are we still doing this kind of thing? You know, that was fun for a few years. And now, like, I kind of want to have a serious girlfriend and go to college or something, you know, which okay. is... And, and Nathan and I, I think at that point, we realized, well, shit, this is like what we want to be doing you know this isn't just like a fun thing this is like oh fuck every monday we got band practice that's all we look forward to every week is monday at 6 p.m we get to go and play songs you know for an hour so to us that was like the most exciting thing going on in our lives and i think for the other guys it was just sort of like a fun little hobby to do for a while okay hold that thought we got some more music
Watch for Pedro's show. Uh, that was Wails and Echoes by Solo Musica. Ahead of that was Chewing Gum by the Bad Mads. That's got the bassman uh, from Hot Club de Paris. That's who we got to play with the nice sharp pencils. There's some connections here I didn't realize. And we start off with Television by Helios Creed. Helios Creed was at my gig last week. I, he had a band in San Francisco called Chrome in the 70s. I don't know if you remember, but he can't, I hadn't seen him in many years. In fact, the last place I saw him was in Lawrence, Kansas. And now he's going to make an album, and he asked me to do some bass on it. So that's a trip. Helios. He came, he came uh, he was downtown here at the Redwood, and uh, I played him the third opera. <laughs> he was like, at first, you know, he asked me what's it going to be like. I said, well, it's one song. It's 45 minutes. He goes, what, thick as a brick? <laughs> you know this? This is like a Jethro Tull album from the old days. Funny, funny thing. So, back to the, your journey. Uh, you and Nathan, you want to do more than, you want to do even more than Monday nights. For right. Brack. Right. And I think that was about the time that he and I had, kind of discovered uh, Fugazi and we're starting to like really kind of get out of the whole oh we're playing just fast punk songs thing mm -hmm. and so I remember we started kind of bringing these weirder kind of well I guess for the time and the context these far out riffs and songs to the band that the band was kind of I guess it was confusing them and they weren't really into it and so I think that kind of freaked everyone out and that basically just put the nail in the coffin for that yeah. original band. Okay. So what was the next step? Let's do our own. Well, yeah, exactly. And so then it was, okay, so we don't have a band anymore, but this is what we really want to be doing. Let's, you know, you come to my house a few nights a week. We'll start writing music together and see what happens. Um, it was actually, I think it, that, that must have been 2001, Maybe, maybe 2002, 2003, somewhere right in there. I think it was 2001 um, that I first saw the band Hella. And that was like a really, another just fucking bizarre musical landmark for me that totally changed, you know, the way I was hearing things and thought what was possible to do with music. And I also heard another band called the Dillinger Escape Plan at that time, which was this really, really fast, thrashy, technical, uh, like, I guess, metal band. And so between those two bands and having the punk background and... This is the Hella with two people. Two-piece Hella, 2001, yeah. right when Hella came out. Yeah. Um, I, I was at a show. A friend I did some gigs with them then. Yeah. Well, I guess that's yeah, 10 years ago now. Wow, that's crazy yeah. to think about that. <laughs> um, I went, I drove up... Uh, into the mountains, I, well, I, I guess, I, I feel like it was in the mountains, it was a show in Placerville, um, sort of in this, I guess more of the woods, not the mountains, but uh, we went to see this band called uh, Crime and Choir, which I guess we had been hearing had this awesome drummer in it, this guy named Zach Hill, and it was sort of just this instrumental kind of like, uh, lots of keyboard driven band, just sort of like electronic-y ambient sounding and we'd been hearing about this drummer so a friend and myself drove 
to Placerville to the woods to see this band play. Well, it turns out Crime and Choir, for whatever reason, couldn't play that that night. So instead, uh, the drummer, Zach Hill, had his other band play called Hella. And I, I think that was probably one of their really, really early shows. And then that night just totally, totally ripped my musical world open, seeing what was actually possible. Yeah, it was a guitar and drum duo. And uh, later on I saw them as a five-piece, but I remember that old days. Yeah, they was wild. Great yeah. Bad. So this was uh, profound on you and Nate. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, so then... At after that, we were just sort of like really inspired by all this like new stuff that we were, you know, discovering all these cool new musical ideas. And we were like, well, that's kind of funky because we were in this punk band and started trying out these new things. And those guys just thought it was pretty bizarre and strange. And so we were kind of discouraged by that. But then we find all this neat stuff happening. So like, wow, OK, maybe we can do this. I could give you a commentary on it, but it is trippy. I, I saw that happen. How you could freak punks out with just weird music. Where right. their scene was supposed to be weird. Here, let's hear some right. more stuff. Sun falls 
Running her feet through sand, pink dress and dirty hands, changing her name again and burdened by the day. Running her feet through sand, pink dress and dirty hands, changing her name again and burdened by the day. Unburdened by the day, unburdened by the day, unburdened by the day, unburdened by the day.
Page After Page by Doe started that out. And then we heard Family by Toys That Kill. There's a cat down here named Todd. He's got a label called Recess Records, Nick. And, God, he's put out all kinds of stuff. And that's his band. He used to have a band, band before that called FYP. He was a pro skater when he was younger. So he has the skater-musician connect. Right. Uh, he's really, uh, yeah, into recording and putting out bands. And uh, he recorded this thing with these cats called Off With Their Heads. He didn't right. play, but you know about that? I'm familiar with that. Well, they asked right. me to play bass, and it's on a 7-inch with Discharge. Oh, well, yeah. I didn't even know it was still around, but they are, some form or another. And so it's something that Todd put together. And then uh, we heard Nude Love and Naked Splendor by John Truby and the Ugly Janitors of America. Now, he's a trip. He's a guy who got notoriety in the middle 80s by... There were some companies in Nashville you could send in lyrics, and they would give you a song. So he just wrote these stupid <laughs> fucking words. You know, we can all hear all that shit, so everybody's going to love you when they hear the radio show, all this fumbling around you're doing. But anyway, he said, said these words that was like a blind man's penis, and this hokey-ass C&W band got this music, and the guy's singing, you know, you see. You paid him money, right? It's kind of a vanity thing where you... You want to hear your song realized. Right. I guess they had no qualms about what you gave them, you know. So that that's how John Truby got involved. Now you, yeah, this latest thing here is with the opera singer and stuff. But anyway, so you're too weird for the supposed weird guys who are, are kind of burning out anyway. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, then... And you just Nate saw Nye some is... wild music... Uh, with Helen, you've heard the from the East Coast, the Dillinger escape yep. thing with the math. It's weird, but it's got some technique. Yeah, exactly. And those fuckers so, can play. <laughs> yeah, so that was just all really inspiring to us and yeah. it made us really excited, you know, to actually start a new band and see what we could do with it. So we got, you know, one of our close friends who was this wacky dude who played guitar in hardcore bands. And we're like, yeah, that he would be fucking perfect. This guy named Jeff Worms. Worms was his real last name, Jeff Worms. Uh, good and punk then, name. So we, we kind of Some started... guys are blessed with good punk names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, like the drummer in X, his name really is Bonebreak. Yeah. <laughs> so so we kind of start writing songs between the three of us where did you find him songs. where'd you find mr worms he was just a good friend of ours that played in local hardcore bands that okay. we knew from shows from yeah. going to shows um and then so we needed a drummer after we had sort of like a little set list of songs worked out and we did not we at that point drummers were just so rare to come by at least good ones because we were we were all like kind of uh, focused on the musicianship of these new songs and uh, being good at our instruments. Where before we were just all just sloppy and didn't give a fuck, and that was kind of like the aesthetic. Whereas now we're like, well, we're actually kind of like starting to figure out how to play well and stuff. Let's make this like a good sounding band with you know it, it'll still have the raw elements to it, but we want it to like be you know have an emphasis on some of the I guess technicality stuff that we're working on so we didn't know any drummers that could play like that so actually jeff was in uh an improv jazz class at the local junior college 
And there was a guy in that class with him that kind of just would, I guess, you know, jam on a probably, a, I guess, a snare drum and maybe a cymbal for their class. And he just kind of went up to him cold and said, hey, you know, my name is Jeff. I play in this band. Would you want to come, you know, try out for us? And he was and so that was Vince. That was our original drummer. So you wrote the first batch of tunes without a drummer. Yeah, we had come up with a bunch of riffs and Yeah, me and D Boone, our first batch of songs with Minuteman was with no drummer. Joe Beisel, we didn't know him really at the time. We see him at gigs. He's very you could tell Joe Beisel, but uh, he, he talked about these two crazy guys uh, above him. He thought we were dancing because you're trying to hold the beat with their feet. <laughs> so he had no drummer, and he thought we were, but we were playing with no amplifiers, so he couldn't hear any guitars. He was just hearing all this stomping and shit. And he thought we were like dancing up a storm. <laughs> <laughs> I know how it is to write the first. You can do it. People say, "How do you have a band without drummers?" But you can do it. It's hard to play gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here we're at the end of the second hour. What from Pedro Show? January, uh, no, February 14, 2012. Hold tight for hour three. February 14, 2012. It's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro show.
as I sit on the porcelain throne. My bowels are aching and beginning to moan. Dumping for knowledge while I read my porn. Out of my ass comes a shit packed with corn. I said adieu, mamma mia I got a chronic case of diarrhea I wake up with A stomach gas Sitting on the toilet Blasting from my ass you can smell my needle vapor! I hope there's enough toilet paper! It's the first shit of the morning! The first shit of the day! The first shit of the morning! Bombs away! The first shit of the morning! The first shit of the day! I'm a heteronite In the morning We go to the John At the truck stop You can hear the echo of the shit Kerplop It doesn't matter If there's a door there I'll take a shit Even if people stare the first shit of the morning The first shit of the day yeah! The first shit of the morning There's another log on its way
start off the third hour with Melody 9 by Tara Melos, followed by First Shit in the Morning by El Duce, uh, who was the brains <laughs> behind the mentors. And then finally, The Blessing of the Dawn Source by Sproton Lair, which is Roger Miller's early band when he was a younger man. From Yeah, if you say Roger Miller in the older days, yeah, they think, but King of the Road... <laughs> Ain't that Roger Miller? Isn't that right? I can't remember. Anyway, this is one from, uh, uh, what are they called? My Academy. They've gotten back together, in fact, dead gigs. Uh, oh, Mission, Mission, Mission of Burma. Burma. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible memory. Terrible memory sometimes. Yeah, Mission Burma. This was Roger with his brothers when he was younger. I think they made a band with all three brothers called M. And like I was telling you, Roger, um, Ron Ashton knew these people in Ann Arbor. And they said the Millers were very interesting people. So, uh, Mr. Worms, your guitarist, he's uh, kind of coerced uh, this drummer man because of this... Incredible display of snare drum. 
Membership at the uh, junior college, and uh, you learn, uh, you teach it. Yeah, how did you get him to do the drum beat? You said, "Here's the tunes." Now, what would you play, or did you tell him what to play? Or well, actually, that was the really curious part, and that was like another like monumental moment musically for me was because he was like a jazz guy. He was yeah. he played jazz music, um, and he came in, and we had showed him these riffs that we had, and he was able to kind of explain to us that they were in these funky time signatures. And he, I remember specifically there was one riff that we would play and he showed us, well, yeah, that's in uh seven, eight. And he explained to us what seven, eight meant. And he played a four, four beat over a seven, eight guitar riff. And there was all this weird syncopation and strangeness happening with how it locks in together that I'd never experienced before. And that was probably the first time I was like, whoa, so that's how that works. Whoa. And so that was kind of a mind-blowing thing. So he actually kind of just brought it himself and was able to create, you know, these really interesting, cool patterns and drum things to these songs that we had come up with. Wow. And, you know, you guys are coming out of the 4-4 Oompa. Right. But you say No. Without listening to Frank Zappa or Captain Beefheart or... Yeah, yeah at that point, and, and I know that's like a really weird thing, I think, for people to grasp, grasp that we weren't just like ripping these bands. It was really just out of the necessity to write interesting music. Like, yeah. like I had mentioned, at, at that point, we had heard bands like Hella and were massive Fugazi fans by that point, and so we knew that it existed, but... We the reason that those bands spoke to us was because we noticed that we shared something similar with them and that we were trying to do something interesting, you know? And so then it was at that point that all this other music occurred to us, like, oh, wow, okay, so this is how it all works. There are bands that do this sort of thing, you know, and it, it has existed for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you come up with the name. Yep, before our very first show. Right, during the prax, uh, getting yep. this thing together. Uh, and you see the first gig went over really well. Yeah, we so we just played instrumentally. We hadn't had a singer at that point. Um, and we just wanted to start playing shows because we would shed it in the practice spot for probably a year. Wow. Um, and then decided, okay, we're probably ready to like play a show. Uh, we played our first show at Capital Garage. Uh Maybe in 2003, I think. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of fuzzy with the dates. But yeah, it was a really fun show. People seemed to dig our band. So we said, okay, well, let's start booking more shows. Um, and shortly after that, then, you know, it even was more clear to us what we could do as a band. None of us had ever toured before. So we said, okay, well, why don't we actually try booking ourselves a tour and booked our very first DIY tour that was... I think down to San Diego and back. <laughs> I think it was two weeks long, and there was probably eight shows tops in there. This is after uh, the first gig. Yeah, after our first gig. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Here, let's hear some music.
Live from Pedro Show. Uh, you just heard part two, September 12th, 1998. That's something live from Kim Gordon, Yashimi, and DJ Olive in New York City, I think at the cooler. And ahead of that was Nels Klein and Greg Bendian doing Lonnie's Lament, which is a John Coltrane, of course, did that tune. Uh, What about recording? You guys already playing this uh, first tour. Well, so yeah, so we wanted something to be able to give to people on the tour to remember us by, you know. Um, so we had actually demoed, I think, four or five songs at that point that were instrumental, but were created with the intent of giving them to potential you know, singers for our band. So there were these songs that were supposed to have vocals on them. Yeah. That were just demos. But we said, well, okay, fuck it. Let's just, you know, hand print a bunch of these and, you know, sell them for two bucks. You know, it shows. So, yeah. So sure. our very first tour, we were selling um, these junky demos that we had. And that, that was, I guess, technically our very first recording. Oh, wow. Uh... Is that thing available? You see, you have any of those left? Yes. Damn, yeah, I'd like to hear around. that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there a big difference? Does it have the heart of the Terramelo yeah. sound? Could you tell? You know, it's funny. I haven't listened to those things, any of those songs, in years. It's the kind of thing where fans of our band have found them online and kind of like in weird ways covet them and like, oh my God, the first demo is so good, blah, blah, blah. And of course I hear it and I'm like, oh, fuck, man, that, this sucks. But I mean, I, it's probably an interesting just, you know, piece of history for the band. Um, but I, I, I think it do does contain, you know, the soul and the elements of what the band is and what the band, you know, represents. But it's just not done the way that, we had intended for yeah well you know. you're just starting it's baby steps yeah exactly uh what was the next step after that mini tour after doing this demo so then 
then I think we probably did a few more shitty mini tours um, and then made our very first real record in a real studio that we were all happy with. Um, and that's the one it's, it's doesn't have a name. Uh, it's the one with the chainsaw guys on the front of it. Yeah. And, uh, so that's our very first record did that. Um, that came out toured more Then I guess just kind of fast forward through the history. Jeff worms quits the band. Yeah. Band becomes a three piece and gets even more experimental and thrash. And then we did, um, an EP called the drugs to the dear youth. Yeah, we should talk about this a little bit. The pedals, are they in the picture by this point? They were just getting there all with all the crazy effects and stuff. They weren't because there. Because you're trying crazy stuff with your guitar phrase. You already talked about time and so you're in the riffs. Right. In the chords. And now you're bringing in. The, after Jeff quit, I remember feeling like, okay, I, I kind of want to fill up some more room some musical space sonically and technically. So I kind of started acquiring new pedals and realizing, okay, I can make a lot more noise <laughs> with these little boxes. At that point, I probably had like three or four that I was using. And then I started, you know, amassing a lot more and then kind of linked them all together and realized, oh, okay, wow, we can make a lot of fucking sound with all these pedals. So then that, that was when we made the second EP, which was the Drugs to the Dear Youth one, that started yeah. containing some of like the more like experimental guitar sounds and stuff. Okay. Same drummy? Same drummer, right. So we do the Drugs to the Dear Youth EP, two or more, get home, write some more songs. Then we did the By the End of Tonight split, which we kind of discussed a little bit earlier. That was our first, um, our first true experimentation with vocals, which I did on that record. Uh, toured some more, wrote some more songs. Then at that point, jazz drummer man Vince, he yeah. quits the band. Then Nate and I are just completely fucked. What are we going to do? We're back to where we were, you know, uh, five years ago, five or six years ago when the punk band broke up. After No Regard. Exactly. It's just you and me again, bud. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, cycled through. Yeah, exactly. And so then we just, at that point, we were established enough to where, you know, we had friends all over the country. And so we just put the word out like, hey, we need a new rad drummer. And we had a lot of awesome responses come in. People were sending us videos, emails, posting stuff on YouTube and all that. Um, and then we eventually just kind of cross paths with our current drummer, John Clardy. Yeah. And then the rest is history. Right, right. He's been with you since. Yeah, so it's been about probably... Oh, now John's a guy who lives in Texas. Yeah, he's out of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area, Texas. Mm -hmm. So prac must be hard. Monday night pracs must be tough. Yeah, no more no more Monday night practice. Um <laughs> We just kind of like, you know, do the whole fly him out thing. And actually right now we're, he's out here right now and we're writing a record, our next record. And it literally, he comes out for about six weeks at a time and we practice every single day for five to six hours a day. So we kind of make up for the the missing Monday night practices. <laughs> Black flag thing. <laughs> so this is some more music. 
His life was like a fart, you know? First part. Second part.
from Pedro show uh, speed turning light something from Steve McKay and the blue prostitutes live on W FMU uh, Steve McKay of course sax man for Stooges and I got to play with him last month in Memphis I made an album with him no guitar no keyboard just two sax clarinet trumpet Drummer and bass, yeah, trippy thing. And first time I got to record Memphis. That was a neat thing for me. Uh, after that, we heard Person Who's Dead by Spielgusher, a new album. I'm on with uh, Shimi Mizuko from Tokyo. And Mr. Richard Meltzer, of course. I found the original lyrics that he gave. Let me show you. People, you can't see this on the... You can't see this on the radio, but... Uh, these things had been missing for around almost 30 years. Uh, Richard Meltzer was going to collaborate with the Minuteman, and he wrote us 10 songs. I found the original lyrics. Wow. And actually... Wow. Uh, nine of the ten made it to the Spielgusher album after all these years, you know. I always wanted to kind of realize that thing that we were going to do. Because these big hero me and bones, yeah, I found them. I put Very them up cool. on the hoot page. You can see them up on the hoot page. I made scans of them. But after all this time, I saw them again. and uh, was, There's some little changes. 
for the most part, nine of the ten poems that we were going to do as Minutemen with him ended up at the Spielgusterraum. And then we heard What Goes In Quiet Comes Out Loud by the Dogs. Dogs was from the old days. I'm seeing of the start wood. And then Dance Social by Frontenac Chateau Baby. Frontenac Chateau Baby is a line in a Blue Oyster Cult song, which Richard Meltzer used to write lyrics for that band, but he didn't write those lyrics. But it's in this song called The Red and the Black that I've done since I was 13 with different people. Uh, back to your uh, your story here, uh, the Terramelos. I get to meet you guys and play with you guys in Japan. So there's a connection that way that you had made with the guys I did. Uh, I met them through Patrick Nesbitt, a guy from Ireland who via England uh, set up a little label and brought those cats on tour. We're talking about the band Light. I heard they're recording a new record right now. But the Japan thing, I remember hearing, because we had we had that uh, Japan tour booked with Light. Awesome band, awesome dudes. And I remember getting an email or so, from one of those guys, or Kazuto, saying that it's looking like Mike Watt and the Missing Men were going to be on those shows with us, and our minds were just blown. It was completely surreal and exciting, and we couldn't believe that we were going to be playing in Japan with you and Light and touring, and that was a really, really like happy, like fun moment for us, realizing that was going to happen. <laughs> that was pretty wild. And it was in a place which was very scary for us because we were trying to learn that fucking piece. We know it now. We know that motherfucker <laughs> inside out. But in those days, those were the first 14 gigs of that motherfucker, and it was... It was brutal. There was so much to remember. Now I know it in my sleep, you know, but at that time it was like we had to pound that motherfucker into our muscles, into our brains, into everything. Especially me, man. That was an embarrassing time. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that for the first one was at that Super Deluxe in Rapongi, and God damn. <clears throat> I shit a pecan log. I shit you not. <laughs> that was intense. That was rough. So, oh, we have to, there's another uh, phase of the band we should talk about. Because you, you guys became a four-piece for gigs. Right, okay. So when with we put out gigs. our last, we did our record with John, our first record with him, yeah. uh, Patagonian Rats, that came out in September of 2010. Right. And it was so layered with elements samples extra guitar extra vocals this was our first record with proper vocals done on it so it was a really like deep deep album with lots of stuff going on on it so in order to accurate accurately represent what we had recorded we brought along uh a good friend of ours this guy evan jewett who plays in a lot of bands that we've toured with and hung out with oh evan uh, i've played a lot of his worker bee on the show right worker bee um san so, jose guy san jose guy yep that's them and so so he joined the band and we called it the patagonian rats band uh and he played for about a year he toured for about a year with us um contributing you know guitar vocals samples uh, as an auxiliary member yeah 
Um, and so now, <laughs> fast forward where we're at now, he, you know, uh, had, it, had his own thing to go back to. So he's not currently touring with us anymore. And we're back down to the three-piece. We reconfigured everything. Uh, now we well, you're got, making this new album. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So streamlined once again. <laughs> Very interesting uh, journey, though, man. I can't wait to hear the new stuff. Uh, if you had advice for somebody getting started with music, what would you tell them? Whoa. Hmm. Well, the one thing that I wish I would have picked up on a lot earlier into my musical journey would just be the idea of creating things and, like I had mentioned, starting a band, writing your own music and, you know, carving out your own path versus, you know, just kind of aimlessly wandering, playing guitar because it's, you know, you're trying to impress a girl or something or whatever whatever reasons people pick up a guitar for these days or have always done it for. But yeah, I'm just, I think people should be aware of, you know, creating and um, kind of doing their own thing musically. Yeah, I agree. But I think that's kind of hard to figure out when you're starting. And it takes maybe kind of living some life to figure that out because I look back and I go, I can't believe we were just fucking in the bedroom copying them goddamn records, you know? <laughs> You know, but that's why I'm always amazed. Sometimes some people's journeys, they actually did start really early. And it just blows me away. Like, how did you guys stumble onto that? Took us fucking, it took us not only a, a, a period of time, it took a fucking whole movement to kick us in our ass. So I think you guys, you're, you're a righteous example of finding your inner voice and bringing it out there. And much respect. I, uh, Really look to a band like Terra Malos and yourself too as a guitar man as inspiring to me. And uh, in fact, I look forward to getting to play with you with uh, yeah, Mr. Greg, Mr. Nels, and our yeah. Big Walnuts Yonder. We, we're going to have to put it off a little bit until the Wilco machine creaks <laughs> in a gap there. I think it'll be sometime in the summer, I think. He's working on it big time. He really is. Yeah, he's yeah. just all jammed up against the wall, and uh, he was very honored that you know you asked. So I, it's going to be a righteous project. And oh, people, yeah. that's what it's all about in a lot of ways. It's just getting initiative. And when uh, Mr. Nick here asked me to ask him, I said, "Shit, yeah, fucking <laughs> bitching. We're going to have a, a good old time." I, uh, you're making your thing now because I I got the eight tunes done i'm wondering if i should flow on you now or should i hold off and wait for you to get your uh oh, caramelos going i say you flow on me like flow? this okay. second oh okay. yeah i love i'm i'm eager to get started on it big yeah time. yeah it's, he says it's trippy for him because to come from the bass end is kind of weird so that'll be trippy yeah i want to yeah. thank you this nick reinhardt for being guest on what for pedro show you're an example of why me and Dee Boone and Georgie started playing 30 years ago, and uh, or even before that. But you, the spirit wasn't just for the old days. You guys keep it alive in your own way, which is only right. So thank you for being on the show, and keep on keeping on. Good luck with the new album. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been the February 14th, 2012 Watt from Pedro show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs> <laughs>